Amen. Thank you for those beautiful prayers, uh, Brenda, on this Father's Day. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be worshiping with you all today. Welcome to Community Church online, in person. It's great to see you with us today. Um, so we are in week three of the Faith Redefined series. Last week, Pastor Brenda talked about the character of God and the importance of seeing God throughout Scripture as the one who loves us. And we'll look a little bit more at that today. If you missed that, go back and check it out. It's a, it's a helpful way to make sense of the Old Testament and the New Testament and how they're woven together. Today, we talk about crisis. When things don't turn out the way we had hoped, the way we had planned, in this past year or maybe past two years, it feels like one unending crisis after another in a lot of ways, globally with the pandemic, of course, but maybe in your own life, personally, you've had a crisis and it has rattled your faith, or maybe it's, it's brought you to a place of seeking faith. So before we dig into that, um, each week during this series, we're giving you an interpretive tool, how do we understand the Bible? And we want to help you guys as you dig into God's Word in your own time, in your own space, on a regular basis as you connect with God, to be able to make sense of it. Um, so this week, we're talking about author's intent. What was the author's intent in writing the particular scripture that we're looking at? And one way to really help us understand how these differences come out is in the Gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the same basic stories, but the three Gospels, the four Gospels, are quite different in how they tell it because they each had a different intent, a different audience, a different purpose in their writing. So as we dig through the Gospels and we wonder, why is this story different, or why does this writer not include this story? Then we can dig in, we can get study tools, and we can understand some of what's happening there. All right, so today's passage, the first key verse we're looking at is Mark 9. It'll be on the screen. It'll also be in your bulletin, and I, I want to unpack this a little bit for us before we get to it. Jesus comes upon a scene with a father, we're lifting up fathers, those uh, fathers in our lives, like Brenda prayed for today. And we have this father who's trying to take care of his son. His son is possessed by a demon. This demon is causing emotional, physical, and spiritual harm to his son. The man has brought him to the disciples. The disciples have been unable to help, so he's desperate to be healed. And I can relate to having a child that you're desperate to be healed. And so you will do anything. I, we had just moved to Southern California. This was, of course, years ago. Cody was maybe three or four years old. I was barbecuing <laughs> on our balcony. We we're in an apartment, and I'm out there on my own. All of a sudden, I turn around, and I see this huge cloud of smoke filling the kitchen, and then a scream. And I run in upon a scene um, where Cody had gotten the cord of my electric shaver out of the bathroom, brought it into the dining area, and plugged it into the wall. And in the shaver, there's two openings, two holes. And he thought, something should go in there. So he grabbed the fork from the dining table and thought, perfect, it fits right in there, and jams it into the plugged-in cord. 
we had just moved in there. We didn't have all the, you know, child safety things set up. And of course, he screams. The, the whole court is melted. That's what caused the smoke. And he's holding it in his hand, and his hand is now black. And we had just moved. We didn't even know where the closest hospital was. We didn't know which insurance would cover, so we had to go to actually to multiple places before we could get help from him. And we were new to the area, so the nurses didn't know us from anybody, so they're running us through like the child abuse protocol and thinking we're neglecting him. And I'm like, just help him, right? Just heal him and then ask me all these questions. <laughs> and eventually they did. But I, that feeling of desperation to want it and you have your child healed is where we come across this story today in Mark 9, 24. I love that, you know, we don't have a sinner's prayer in the Bible, but we have a doubter's prayer. And this is the doubter's prayer. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. See, Jesus was there. He was on the scene. He was asking the man what he can do for him. And the man realizes that, you know what, he, he's desperate. And you know what I love about this is not that, you know, when we're desperate, we'll do anything for a solution. It's not surprising that he's heard of Jesus, that this Jesus can maybe heal. Of course, I'll take my son to him. Maybe this will help. That part isn't surprising. What surprises me is his honesty and his authenticity. If I was standing before the person who could heal my child and I wasn't sure they could do it, I probably wouldn't let him know I was doubting. <laughs> yeah, 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 I believe. Just, just, just do it, right? And yet this man is honest because he needs help, but he doesn't fake it, right? He tells him, I'm not really sure. I have this tiny amount of belief, and that's probably the only tiny amount I had to, in order to bring me to you, but actually, I'm not sure if you can do it. Help me. I'm doubting. The man wasn't praying that his unbelief would be helped. He's praying that his son will be helped. He knows he doesn't have enough faith to be worthy of a healing. He doesn't have enough faith to be worthy of salvation, and neither do any of us. But he still pleads with Jesus for what little faith he has to do that. See, a crisis can drive us to faith. We don't need to ask God to increase our faith in order to take a step towards Jesus. We don't have to ask God to increase our faith in order for him to help us. He will meet us right where we're at. He's honest and authentic. And I think Matthew lifts up this story because that's what he's wanting for his audience. Matthew is, well, Mark is wanting this for his audience. He's wanting them to be able to be real with God and how they are in their condition. I can relate to being desperate for Jesus. As a young man, I was frustrated. I was angry. I couldn't resolve all of my issues. And it drove me back to God. See, my early years, my early faith had crumbled. It was no longer sufficient for the crisis that I was walking through. I needed a more robust faith. I needed something that could stand the challenges I was going through. 
I needed to redefine my faith. See, an angry God was a God I no longer needed or wanted. I knew there had to be more. I wasn't sure what. I had just enough faith to come back and to begin to reconstruct what my faith was. Because a crisis and a doubt can drive us to faith, but it can also drive us away from faith. See, the earliest version of my faith was no longer adequate to sustain what I was going through in life. It wasn't that God was no longer there, but my version of God, my definition of God, the version I'd been presented me was no longer something I could really hold on to. So I left. I walked away from my faith. I walked away from my community. And I see this throughout the years, whether it's friends or family members, their previous, their earliest version of faith is not robust enough, is not being redefined in order to deal with whatever life is throwing at them. It's not that God has changed, but their version of God is no longer adequate, maybe through teaching, maybe through parents. They need a more robust faith. Next week, we're going to look at the role of community in our faith, so we'll get to that because that's an important piece of how we can reshape and rebuild our faith. But I want to take a look at the ways we see this in, in, in Scripture. So I want to go to Matthew now, Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Peter has just declared that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, right? God has given him this insight into who Jesus is. And then Jesus begins to teach them some more, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside, which is it's just kind of funny, Peter taking Jesus aside to tell him what he's really about. And begin to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And I'll stop there. See, Peter's conception of God needed to be broken down. Peter had a misconception of who God was and who the Messiah was to be. He had understood scriptures, but he had drifted off track to see who really Jesus was. So he says, no, 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 Jesus, you're not about the suffering, right? You're not about the cross. That is beyond my concept of who God is. And he misses the point until eventually his faith breaks. His faith crumbles. He denies Jesus in Jesus' deepest time of need. His faith needed to be broken in order to be rebuilt. So crisis and doubt are opportunities to redefine our faith. If you are in the midst of a crisis, if you are in the midst of a doubt, I am glad that you're here, whether in person or online, because this is a place where we want to foster this reconstruction. We want to foster this redefinition. We want to help you to dig deep into the challenges that you're facing. And it may be that your earliest versions of faith Maybe in primary school, maybe in a religious school, maybe what you were taught, maybe 
is no longer adequate for you. And it's time to let go and break down some of those misconceptions about who God is. I love this quote from Brian McLaren in his book, From Faith After Doubt. It says this, In my mind, one of the markers of an evolving faith is an ability to integrate doubt, to hold the tension between what we've been taught and what we've come to know as true. When grounded in an experience of love, doubt does not represent a step backwards, but is a necessary condition for any movement forward. Doubt need not be the death of faith. It can be instead the birth of a new kind of faith. And I love this because Peter is being real with Jesus and says, you can't do that. And we eventually see Peter's faith breaking down. And we can see as we follow scriptures, Peter redefining his faith at some many key junctions, whether it's who Jesus is, whether it's about food laws and what people can eat or not eat. We see the same thing with Paul. Paul, who's earnestly seeking after God, who has gotten it all wrong in his concept of God. And Jesus, you know, really God shows up on the Damascus road to tell him no. And we can see Paul's evolving faith throughout scriptures, how he's figuring out who Christ is and what it means to be a follower of him. Does your faith need to be redefined? Does it need to be rebuilt? Do you have something you're holding on to and you're not sure how to resolve it? We've been using these bricks as a metaphor for doubts and we could say for crisis as well. Um, They don't go away if we ignore them. They just keep adding on top of one another until it becomes too big of a task to confront. And so we encourage you to, to pick up those beliefs, to pick up those doubts and to dig deep into them. May you not always find an adequate answer, but explore it, press into it. Let God meet you in that place. If you've been in that place, you're in good company. We see that with the disciples. We see that with the early church, wrestling through what does it mean to walk in my faith in this life. So we see Scripture come together, right? All these books of the New Testament in particular. And sometimes we read those, and we start at the ending point for the disciples, right? That's where they're ending, and that's where I must start, right? But if we look into each of their lives, we see that their faith was always being redefined on their, as God was opening them up to new understanding. Our starting point doesn't have to be where the disciples ended in their journey. We see the early church, it took a couple hundred years for them to develop and to, to come up with the creeds on figuring out, okay, what are the creeds? What do we really believe in? A couple hundred years, we can give ourselves permission as Jesus gave the disciples permission to ask questions and to figure it out. Start where you are today, wherever that may be. Keep wrestling, keep learning, keep discovering. Perhaps some of your your beliefs need to be reconstructed deconstructed in order that you can reconstruct. Hold on to Christ in this process. Now, 
a crisis. I get a lot of people um, coming to me in the midst of their crisis, and one of the common questions is the why question. Why did this happen to me? Why would God allow bad things to happen? And those are good questions to go after. Uh, Christians have been going after those questions for the last 2,000 years. And, and to be honest, the Bible doesn't provide, I think, an adequate question to the why. There are good answers, um, but really the why doesn't relieve the burden on the heart, I find. The why doesn't provide, I think, a, a nourishment for our soul. But our faith does provide a how, and it does provide a where. Where is God in the midst of the crisis See, we worship a God that actually enters the crisis. He enters the doubt. He is with us when we wonder, where is God? He does give us that answer. I came across this video this past week. Uh, Maybe you've seen it as well on YouTube or, or Facebook. It's from America's Got Talent, and it spoke to me um, just a, a little bit of what we're, we're talking about today, and it's a beautiful moment and a testimony. Let's watch that now. My name's Jane. When I sing, I go by Nightbird. I'm singing an original song called It's Okay. Um, I have not been working for quite a few years. I've been dealing with cancer. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. All right. Can, can I ask you a question? How are you now? Uh, Last time I checked, I had some cancer in my lungs, my spine, and my liver. Wow. So you're not okay? Uh, well, not in every way, no. You got a beautiful smile and a beautiful glow, mm-hmm. and nobody would know. Thank you. It's important that uh, everyone knows I'm so much more than the bad things that yes. happen to me. Yes. All right. Sing for us. Good luck. Nightbird. I, I wrote a hundred pages, but I burned them all. Yeah, I burned them all. I blow through yellow lights and don't look back at all. I don't look back at all. Loading all mine. Now I can't hide. Said I knew what I wanted, but I guess I lied. It's okay. is stunning. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely stunning. And I, I totally agree with what Howie said, you know, about authenticity. There was something about that song after the way you just almost casually told us what you're going through and, oh, you know. You can't wait until life isn't hard anymore before you decide to be happy. I'm not going to give you a yes. I'm going to give you something else. I have a 
percent chance of survival, but two percent is not zero percent. Two percent is something, and I wish people knew how amazing it is. Thank you, Mike, for piecing that together. It's a longer clip on YouTube. You can just Google Nightbird and it will come up. I, after watching that clip, I began to dig a little bit more and had people send me um, a little bit more of her journey. She's a Christian, a strong Christian, who has battled three different rounds of cancer. She has a blog and she posts on it and she has some beautiful things to say. And I want to share one of her quotes with you. And it stems from the Genesis story. So we see in Genesis that God sculpts us out of clay, out of dirt. God made humankind from the dirt itself. And humanity is the first thing that God touches. This first breath we tasted was God's exhale. And here's her quote. I don't think it's meaningless that the first time humanity looked into the eyes of God, his hands were dirty and he was close. Maybe we have forgotten what God showed us when he first introduced himself, that he will crawl into the dirt to be near us, and he will fill our lungs with air when we don't know how to breathe. See, oftentimes we might think of God's nearness because of Jesus, and that's a good place to go. But as Brenda was showing us last week, this character of God is from the very beginning, that God will walk through, will get his hands dirty, to be with us, to bring life into us. This is that same God. His character does not change. The smaller stories change, but it's one big pursuit of humanity. We see that, of course, with Jesus. Jesus is willing to become vulnerable, an infant, to risk in order to bring life. We don't always have answers to the why questions, but we know where Christ is. We know where God is in the midst of it, and he is with us. See, I want to come back to Peter, and now we'll look at John's gospel, John chapter 21, and the context for this um, is after the resurrection, God, Jesus, has shown up to the disciples um, two times already, and you happen upon this scene where the disciples, seven of them, have gone out to fish, and they've been fishing all night. Now, most scholars agree that them, Peter going back to fishing is not like, ah, Peter's feeling like taking a day off. You know, it's a nice day out. I'll go fishing. No, scholars tend to think that the disciples were going back to their previous professions, They didn't know the way forward. They didn't know what was next. And so they go back to what is familiar. They go back to their jobs. They they kind of put their faith on hold, if you will. And, well, they're not going about the Great Commission, right? They're not going about these things that, that God has invited them into. So Jesus shows up on the shore, Verse 9, when they landed, they saw fire. So this is a fire that Jesus was making of burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. So just take note, Jesus loves barbecue, all right? (laughs) That wasn't the main point of this story, but don't miss it. All right, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat 
dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even so, with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. I just love how Jesus approaches the disciples. I could imagine him coming to that scene and going, I can't believe it. After everything I've done, you guys walk away from what I've called you to do. That would have been my temptation. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, these failures. What does he do? He makes a meal for them. He says, come and have breakfast. See, Jesus is leading with love. He's leading with grace. He's leading with generosity. That's how he wants to step into his relationship with them. And then right after this scene, Jesus restores Peter. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? See, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus restores him. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep, care for my sheep. He reminds him of what he's called Peter to do. And it's not Peter's lack of faith that qualifies him for that role. It's who Jesus is that qualifies him for that. So where are you today? Maybe in the midst of a crisis, maybe in the midst of doubt. Maybe you don't have everything resolved. How do we walk our faith in that? What do we do? The disciples give us a great answer, and this is back in Matthew. This is right before, this is a part of the great commission that Jesus is giving them to go make disciples. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains. The 11, Judas was the 12th, right? Um, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. See, I, I love these types of passages because if this was a, if you were making up a story of faith, if Matthew was making things up, you would not include this story. The top 11 people, the followers of Jesus, are there after he's been resurrected, after he's healed, after he's fed 5,000. They're like, you know what? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> That's not the story you would tell of your heroes of faith. And yet Matthew tells us this story because he, he wants us to know the honesty of that we can have in our faith. We don't know what the disciples were doubting at that moment. The passage doesn't say. Were they doubting Jesus who he says he was? Were they doubting their ability to carry out the Great Commission? I don't know, but they came with those doubts and still worshiped. Jesus. And we can as well. We can come and worship Jesus with our doubts. We can come and worship Jesus in the midst of our crisis because he meets us in that place. In the MTR, you know, sometimes I, I want to take the steps. It's good for my health, but they always like, you know, you can only see part way and then it turns around the corner, right? And with our faith, we can't always see to the top of that staircase, but we don't have to to take that first step. Take the step you can. Take the step right in front of you to be with Jesus because he welcomes you to that, into your doubt, into your crisis. He wants to be there. He wants to help you redefine your faith if that's what is needed. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here, that you are in our midst that you pursue us, that you welcome us, that you are willing to listen to us in the midst of the crisis and you are with us in the crisis and our doubts, God. May 
we grow in you. May we bring who we are to you, God. May we not bring who we think we should be to you, but may we just be real and honest with you this morning, God, wherever that might be, and let you do a work in our hearts. Amen.